Over the past few years, I have asked you guys to give me a rating and review. And if you've done that, thank you so, so much. I really appreciate it. It's so helpful. But if you haven't, I get it. I kind of get it. Like, I'm asking you to go and click on this thing and then like, how do I do it? And then I have to come up with some kind of a review and I don't know what to say and I'll do it later, right? I, I get it. I've, I've kind of been there before. I, I know exactly how you feel. And so I'm not asking you to do that now, okay? What I'm asking you to do now is so easy. Anybody can do it and it literally takes like one second. Go into whatever you're listening to, whether it's Apple Podcast or Spotify or whatever platform you're listening on, they all have it, and just click on the subscribe button. Just subscribe. It takes one second. You don't have to be creative. You don't have to come up with a review and write it all out and you know be self-conscious about it. Just hit that subscribe button. That would be so, so, so impactful for me. And if you're enjoying this and getting a lot out of it, that would mean the world to me. It really would. And it's so easy. Anyone can do it. Like, let's literally stop listening right now. Stop listening. Go and do it. That's how much it means to me. Nobody ever asks you to leave their show and stop listening for anything. But I'm asking you to stop listening right now. Go and just quickly subscribe. Come right back and take a listen. That would mean the world to me. I would really appreciate it. You guys are awesome. And I really appreciate it. Thanks. You should have this relationship with a seller and you should be creating rapport and building in the expectation that you are going to sign a purchase agreement with their property, but you should have a one or two week due diligence period if you can negotiate it. And now if you're in a highly competitive environment with multiple bids, you may not be able to get that, right? So you may have to dial your numbers in a little bit better. You're listening to the Just Start Real Estate Podcast. If you're serious about your real estate investing business and need real answers, you are in the right place. And now, your host, Mike Simmons. All right, thank you for joining me on Just Start Real Estate. I'm excited to bring you another live replay of my Q&A on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific, where I answer your questions live and in person. And we have some conversations and it's a lot of fun. I love it. I really love those lives and I, I really have a blast doing them. So hopefully you guys are enjoying them too. I think the download count kind of tells me that you are enjoying at least the replay for sure. And uh, if you want to join me live, you can do it anywhere that you follow me on uh, social media. It could be Facebook, could be Twitter, could be Instagram, YouTube. I think YouTube and Facebook are probably the easiest as far as interaction and questions and going back and forth. Uh, but if you just want to watch and be a fly on the wall, you can watch it really on any platform, LinkedIn, whatever, whatever you want. I am there for you. This week was a lot of fun. We talked about analyzing deals and understanding the market, had a, a kind of a longer answer for that one. So you might want to check that out. We also talked about flipping fire damaged properties and what that looks like and what do I think about them and uh, give you my two cents on that. Uh, we talk a little bit about insurance for flips and finding great contractors. So stay tuned, guys. It's a really fun one. Good a good uh, episode with some, some good actionable stuff, things you can apply to your business today and start uh, doing better. Also, I mentioned it during the live, but also I want to mention it here real quick. I do have a video course that is currently free. It's called Winning Direct Mail. If you go to winningdirectmail.com, you can grab your free copy. So go do that. All right, guys. Hopefully you enjoyed this episode. I thought it was a lot of fun, and I think there's a lot of good stuff here for you. So enjoy. 
All right, we're here. We're live. It is Wednesday, 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. Again, I'm here every week for you guys to answer questions live. I want you to be here. I want you to log in live and ask questions of me. I uh, I answer questions for investors a lot, and usually it's a paid service. I, I do it inside of the Seven Figure Flipping Mastermind. Uh, I have some coaching products that I offer that are paid. The only place that I answer questions where it's completely uh, no obligation to you is here on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern time and 4 p.m. Pacific. You can log on, ask me anything about real estate you want. We will have the conversation. If you ask me live, if you're here uh, when I'm recording, then we can have a back and forth, which is kind of cool. It works out really nice when there's back and forth and because sometimes I follow up questions, right? Somebody asks a question and they they leave something out that I would need to know to answer it a hundred percent, you know, completely. And if you're here live, you can get that answer one hundred percent complete. Otherwise, I'm going to give you my best shot at giving you my answer. So you can email me questions if you want. You can DM me. You can do whatever you want to do to get the question to me. Uh, you can email me, frankly, if you want at mike at juststartrealestate.com, and we will get those questions. We'll get them incorporated into the show, and uh, we'll get you guys off and running there. <clears throat> but if you're live, like I said, I can answer them uh, in real time, which is really, really nice. And it makes it a little bit better uh, for everybody. Um, and so I can just answer them more completely. So if you go to uh, Mike at Just Start Real Estate, I'll put it on the screen here. That's where you send your questions for me or anything else. If you want to communicate, that's where you do it. Okay. Uh, I want to make... Uh, Make sure that anybody who's new to this live or is listening to this replay on my podcast and you have not heard, I have developed a free video course for you. And it's all around getting leads, getting better leads, getting cheaper leads, getting more motivated leads. And in the market that we're moving into, right, we're, we're in this recession. And uh, there's a lot of speculation about what that means, not only economically for the country or as far as your spending goes and where how, you know, how far your dollar is going to go and all this stuff. Uh, we have interest rates that are on the rise uh, for homes, but also there's a question about home values. And what does that mean for us as real estate investors as we're buying properties and we're talking to homeowners and our homeowner is going to be less likely to sell because their house is going down in value. And they remember just, just three or four months ago, their house was at an all-time high value. It was just historically high house prices uh, about four or five months ago. And now we're going into an area where house prices are going down. And so talking to sellers, finding really, truly motivated sellers is uh, going to be a challenge potentially. And you need all the help you can get when it comes to getting leads for your business. Because I always say leads uh, in your business are like oxygen for the body, right? If you don't have oxygen going into your body, you will die. And if you don't have leads going into your business, your business will die. It will fail. You can't run a real estate investing company without reliable leads, good quality leads. And for me, I have found over the past seven or eight years, the most high quality, consistent, cost-effective, reliable lead source has been direct mail. And I have spent literally over a million dollars trying to dial in and perfect and understand how to make direct mail work for me and my company. And like I said, I've spent that million dollars and I've learned a lot and I've 
I've really come up with a video course that encapsulates everything, all the things I know that I did to be successful in direct mail. And you can grab your free copy of that video course if you go to my website, <clears throat> mikesimmons.com forward slash winning direct mail. It's on the screen right now if you need that, uh, but it's mikesimmons.com forward slash winning direct mail. You can also, if you want, just go to winning direct mail. Dot com and you can grab that video course. Uh, I'm considering making that a paid course in the future. Right now, it's free. So grab it now before it becomes a paid course. If I decide to go that route, I'm not saying I will for sure, but uh, honestly, that it's worth it's worth a lot, in my opinion. I put a lot of time and effort and energy to make that course really, really great. I've gotten a ton of great feedback from people who have gotten in there and utilized that material. And I think, you know, in real estate, if you can get another deal a month, even another handful of deals a year, like what is that worth? It's worth certainly in the tens of thousands. And depending on how you, uh, where you live and how much your average profit is, it could be in the hundreds of thousands, right? Some people do over a million dollars doing 10 deals a year. So what is, the, what is this course worth to help you get those extra one deal a month, maybe six to 10 deals a year? I don't know. I would say it's worth tens of thousands, if not a couple of thousand, right? For sure. It has to be. And and right now it's free. So go grab it while it is free and uh, take advantage of my lapse in judgment of making it free for the moment. <clears throat> okay. Let's dive into today's questions and we'll see how this goes. If we, uh, if we end up a little early today, I think that'll be fine. We'll see. Okay. First question uh, is, I let's see, let me put it up on the screen here. I want to understand the process of analyzing deals and understanding the market as a new wholesaler. What does this mean exactly and how can I put them into practice? <clears throat> so understanding the market is really at a high level, especially for a beginner, if you're just trying to get like the 80-20 effect here, because you can be, you know, you can be as as much of a data nerd as you want to be. And you can dig deep into the data and really start trying to look for trends and you know, pulling out nuggets that will help you give you an edge over your competition. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm using data nerd uh, in a in a you know as a term of endearment. I'm not, I'm not saying it as a negative, but you can get as deep into the data as you want. But at a very high level, right, the 80-20 effect is you don't have to know all the trends and know be able to quote exact days on market as of today. Like that's good information, but it's not, to me, it's not vital information. What's vital is that you know if you're in an in, uh, ascending market, descending market, a flat market, like those kind of like high level metrics or high level data, you really should know. So you never want to be in a position where you go into a seller's home and you say, Mr. And Mrs. Seller, house prices are going down. And they pull up the paper and it says house prices are going up, right? You don't want to be so far out of touch with the market that you truly don't know if we're in a buyer's market, a seller's market, a flat market, what are, what's happening, right? So knowing where we are in the market cycle is important. And I look at the market cycle as kind of like this roller coaster, right? On, on one side of the hill, you're in a buyer's market and then it kind of flattens out on top for a minute and then you're in a seller's market and then it kind of flattens out then you're in a buyer's market. That's kind of how it goes. So you want to know which one of those markets you're in. So when you're talking to homeowners, talking to potential sellers, talk of, talking to motivated sellers, you know what exactly is happening. So you can say to them, Mr. Mr. Seller, yes, I know. I know that your neighbor sold their house for you know, 500,000 six months ago. But six months ago, we were 
at the top of the market. We are in a in a declining market. Your house value is your house is losing value every single month. And six months ago, yes, your house might have been worth close to five hundred thousand. But for the record, your neighbor's house was fully renovated: new kitchen, new bath, new flooring, new paint, new roof, new furnace, new windows. They had all that, right? Yours is, you know, it's not all new. It's a little bit dated. Your your bathroom and kitchen was updated in the '90s, and your roof is at the end of its life. And you know, it's different, right? But you would have been closer to that. But now we're in a descending market, so your house is worth not only less than 500,000 like your neighbor six months ago, but even your neighbor's house six months ago was worth 500,000. Even your neighbor's house like today, if they were trying to sell it, maybe it's only worth 450. Maybe it's only worth 465, right? Maybe it's going to be worth a little bit less because all house prices are going down. And so your house six months ago might not have been worth 600. Maybe it would have been worth 450 six months ago, but your house now six months have gone by. Maybe it's only worth 400, right? fully renovated on the market. And so <clears throat> you have to understand what you're saying to your to the sellers when you get in the home and knowing the market is is really really key to that. You don't have to know all the levers and all the data, but you need to know what market you're in. As far as analyzing the deal, people use different things, you know, new wholesalers or house flippers will sometimes use that whole, you know, 70% of Zillow minus repairs minus your profit kind of a thing you can you can always try to start there 70% might be a little bit tough even even though house prices are starting to come down that's probably in most places 70% is going to be a little too aggressive you probably are going to be at like 75 or 80 minus repairs minus your profits and so you want to do for a wholesaler it would be 70% of repairs um I'm sorry 70% of Zillow minus repairs minus the house flippers profit minus your profit, right? Because you're a wholesaler, you have to add that extra layer in there. And that's how people do it when they're starting off sometimes. And I get that. Uh, I don't really I don't really use that method because I don't think that it really works super well in the long term. It's good when you're starting out maybe to sort of get you in the ballpark. And as a wholesaler, just let's make this kind of a uh, side note here. As a wholesaler, when you buy a property, you should you should have this relationship with the seller and you should be creating rapport and building in the expectation that you are going to sign a purchase agreement with their property, but you should have a one or two week due diligence period if you can negotiate it. And now if you're in a highly competitive environment with multiple bids, you may not be able to get that, right? So you may have to dial your numbers in a little bit better. But in a lot of cases, you can work in this two-week due diligence period. So even if you get it under contract at the wrong price, you'll find out as soon as you put it out to your buyers, you're going to find out that it's the wrong price because you're either going to get no offers from your buyers or kind of a good problem to have. You're going to get tons of offers from your buyers because you put it out to your buyers list too low. But that means you probably signed the contract really, really low also. So that's a good thing, right? But when you start becoming a little bit more sophisticated, you're going to start dialing in your property uh, analyzing tool a little bit more. And so mine looks something like this. I've put it into a spreadsheet, but this is basically what's behind the spreadsheet. It's not incredibly complicated, but it's just a little bit more complicated than, you know, Zillow, you know, 70% of Zillow minus repairs. So what mine looks like is I come up with the ARV first, right? And it's important that we make this note. ARV is not a CMA. It's not a, a, like a market analysis like a realtor does. It's after repair value. So the repair part of that is, is critical. 
we're only looking at houses and we're only comparing to houses that have been fully renovated like we are going to do to that house or like we expect our buyers are going to do to that house. So if you look at a house and it's like, hey, you look at the fully renovated ones and the ones that are kind of beat up and outdated and all of those combined give you an ARV of 250000 that's inaccurate for us as investors. We need to take out all the beat up ones, all the dated ones, all the foreclosures, and we need to only look at the houses that look like they were flipped or at the very least, very, very recently fully renovated. And you'll probably find if a CMA gives you a, a value of 250, an ARV uh, value will probably be closer to 300 in that scenario, right? We're just looking at the best of the best. And so that's what we want to do. So I get the ARV, I subtract repairs, I subtract the closing costs when I buy, and I usually put that at about 1%. Then I subtract the closing costs when my buyer sells, okay? And I usually put that at about 2% of the sales price. Then we subtract realtor fees and I subtract uh, 6% so that we're accounting for the realtor fees once this house sells on the retail market, like if a flipper buys it. Then I subtract the cost of money, right? And we have to estimate the whole time for the cost of money. So if you're paying, you know, let's just say you're paying 12% for your money and you're going to hold it for five months, that's 5%, right? We have to uh, we have to account for how long we're going to hold on to that, that property and how long we need that money. And then I subtract insurance. Then I subtract estimated utilities like electric, gas, water, garbage, that kind of thing. Then I subtract out my buyer's anticipated profit margin. And then I have to subtract as a wholesaler, I subtract my wholesale fee. And that gives me my max offer. Okay, so that's how I figure it out as a little bit more of an experienced investor. And there, there's models out there that are probably even more complicated. But I think there's a point of diminishing returns. You can You can dial it in granularly, but there's still variables you can't 100% control. And so this is as, as detailed as I think you need to get without leaving any anything on the table or being a little bit too negligent with your numbers, right? So <clears throat> that's what I consider to be kind of an optimized way of, of analyzing properties. So that's how I do it. You know, like I said, I can break down any of those if you want. If somebody has questions, you can you can ask me or or just DM me or whatever, and I can break that down. But that's kind of what it is. And I'll do it again without all the explanation, just so you have like the bullet point. It's ARV minus renovation, minus closing costs when you buy, minus closing costs when you sell, minus realtor fees, minus cost of money, minus insurance, minus utilities, minus your buyer's profit or the, the flipper's profit minus the wholesale fee gives you the max offer. Okay. So that's how I look at it. All right. Good question. Next question. Have you ever done a flip after a fire? Do you have any pointers? I have done a flip after, I think I've done one. I've sold a lot of houses that were flipped after a fire, but I don't do a lot of flips, number one. And I don't love doing flips after fires because smoke damage is real, man. That it gets into everything. And, you know, the structural integrity of a house uh, because of a fire, it, it can be, you know, it's like pulling on a thread. It, it's like the fire happened in one room, but, you know, two rooms over, you have some structural damage because, you know, the flames licked up into the ceilings and some of the trusses up there have gotten a little weak or they're fire damage. Like it can be kind of extensive. And so I don't love doing it, but I would say, 
you're going to have to pull out more drywall than you think because of smoke damage. The, the studs and some of the trusses and some of the floor joists and things like that could have been affected. And, you know, you, you almost have to pull up floorboards and, and, and rip out ceilings <clears throat> just to double check so, to make sure that you're not missing anything. But that's, that's really it. I mean, just be, expect that you're going to have to gut more of the house than would be obvious by just walking through the house, unless the house is like half burned down, right? Then you know you're going to have a ton of problems. But that that fire damage, man, that can really um, that can really affect the integrity of a lot of stuff. So I don't know. I would say the pointers would be err on the side of ripping it out and replacing, rather than painting over and assuming it's good. That that's probably my my biggest um, pointer. And, and my other pointer is if you wholesale at all try wholesaling it because a lot of people love fire damage damage houses and I'm not trying to talk you out of doing a fire damage house. I'm just saying that could be a pain in the butt. And so, you know, maybe, maybe avoid it if you don't have to do it. Um, but yeah, I would say just be prepared to rip out more than you think you're going to have to rip out. So fire damage houses are interesting. Like I said, we've sold a lot of them and there have been some where I wouldn't have wanted to do the flip for, you know, anything. But some people absolutely love those kind of deals. And so if you love those kind of deals, you should definitely do them. But um, it's just not my favorite in the world. So I don't, I don't really do a lot of fire damage stuff. Okay, next question. Do you, uh, let's see, do you have to get special insurance for your flips? Um, yeah, you do. Um, it's homeowner's insurance for sure. But you need to get a vacant policy. And, and basically it is what it sounds like. You're getting a homeowner's policy where the insurance company is giving you a rate based on the fact that it's unoccupied, right? While you're doing renovations, it's more expensive than insurance where someone's living there because things can happen when no one's in the house to kind of keep it protected or watch over it, right? Things can happen that go get left uh, unattended and they can, they can careen out of, out of control. And so it's a little bit more expensive, but um, it's called a, a, a vacant policy. That's what you need to get for um, for flips. But and then, you know, as far as like um, insurance, like company insurance, like liability insurance and things like that, like there's all kinds of insurance you can get if you really want to go crazy down the insurance hole. But uh, when you're talking about the flips, I'm talking about the property itself. You need to get a vacant policy. And then if it's going to be like a like a, a short term rental or a long term rental, then you just convert that that insurance policy from a vacant policy to an occupied policy or an occupant policy and then they're going the rates are going to change and all that so that's a good thing so you don't want to leave that go you know if you flip a house into a long term rental and it takes you 3 months to flip it and then you get it rented don't leave that vacant policy in place because you're going to be spending money that you don't need to spend but i would shop it around too like you didn't ask me but I, just shop shop the insurance around you know all insurance companies are not equal and all of them don't view vacant policies and, um, you know, house flipping policies the same. And so I would just say do your homework and make sure you're getting multiple quotes from different companies. But yeah, there, there is it is different. And uh, it's called it's called vacant a vacant policy. So that's what you need to do when you're when you're working on a flip. OK, uh, let's see here. We're kind of burning through these. Next question. Do you have a general contractor on staff uh, work with different ones for different projects? Question mark. Two question marks there. Uh, we are struggling to find and keep good GC. 
yeah, I don't have contractors on staff. I don't do enough renovations to keep contractors on staff. I'm primarily a wholesaler. Um, we're starting to do quite a bit more where we are buying and then um, putting a note on that property and, and selling it and holding the note ourselves to uh, homeowners. So we're not really renting. We're sort of like pay, playing bank. In those cases, um, we're starting to do more renovations that way. But I still wouldn't consider my company a company that does a lot of renovations. We do some light renovation to the houses that we're going to you know, create the note and sell them. And, uh, but not, not a lot. We're not doing heavy renovation. So no, I don't keep somebody on staff. Uh, I don't work with different ones for different projects though. I do try to have one GC that, or two, one or two that, that do all of my jobs, which are not a lot. And that way I have a rapport. We have some understanding, you know, there's a lot of things that you have to iron out when you start working with a contractor, even really good ones. There's a lot of things that are not just intuitive to both sides. Right. And so you have to sort of learn each other and go through some growing pains to understand each other. But I think you should try to work with the same GC each time. If you can, it sounds like you're struggling to find one here's, so there's a lot of ways you can find a GC, right? Here's one good strategy. If you've ever flipped a house or ever done renovations, maybe you didn't like your GC, but if you go to the renovation frequently, like you should, you should be seeing other people working, electricians, plumbers, roofers, siding people, you know, rough carpenters, flooring people, right? Find somebody in one of those other disciplines that you like a lot. You know, every time you go, they seem to be there. They seem to understand what's going on. They're on top of it. They're polite. They're professional. They do good work. And just pull them aside and say, hey, who else do you work with that you like? Any other GCs, any other roofers, any other plumbers, any other electricians? Like, Start building out a network of referrals from contractors that you actually do like and that are, are doing a good job. You don't just have to hire a, a GC and go from GC to GC and try to find a good one. That's one way to do it. I hire GCs too. I don't sub anything out myself. But if I was looking for a GC and struggling, I would try to like, for example, I recently hired someone to come to my house to do some drywall work. And he did a great job. He showed up on time. Uh, you know, like I said, punctual, good work ethic, good attitude, friendly, outgoing, just everything was great, right? He seemed great. And I thought, okay, I hired this guy to do drywall, but I wonder if he does anything else. Like, is he just doing this for extra money? Does he do anything else? And so I had the conversation with him. Turns out he can do full renovations. He's got a crew. He can do full renovations. And so I found him by basically getting doing some drywall work. I liked his drywall work, so I started asking questions, found out he can do more. But he could have just as easily said, hey, I don't do full renovations, but I do work with a guy who's a great GC. He has a great crew. You know, he does a great job. He's re priced reasonably. Like that could have been how the conversation went. It just so happens he's the guy who can do all that stuff, but he could have led me to something else. Point being, I didn't hire him to be a GC. I hired him to do drywall work and I found a GC through the process, which happens to be him. But he, like I said, he could have pointed me in the direction of anybody. So I, I think finding someone who does do a good job, even if they're not a GC and start working through their network. And then maybe that, maybe that roofer knows a rough carpenter 
And he's like, yeah, I don't know a lot of people, but I have a rough carpenter that I work with and he's great. He does great work. Everyone loves him, blah, blah, blah. And he gives you his number. And you talk to him and that guy comes and does some work for you. He's great. And you go, do you know anybody? And he's like, yeah, I know an electrician and a plumber and they're the best and they're great and they're good prices. And then you get a hold of those folks and they go, oh yeah, yeah I know a GC that's great. Right. And you sort of, it's like, this network where you just sort of you sort of like spider web out into in, and take advantage of other people's networks. That's a great way for finding contractors that uh, are good and will do a good job for you. So that's one way to go about it. I mean, there's a lot of ways you got to stick with it a little bit, but you know, finding sometimes finding good tra- contractors are tough. Is tough, and it's one of the struggles of being a house flipper or someone who does a lot of renovations. I will say this. With the, the real estate market, the way it's going, right? How home value is kind of going down and, and there being this recession and things. There's a really, really good likelihood. It's almost certain that general contractors and people in the carpentry world, building world, are going to be losing opportunities, right? They're going to be losing jobs. They're going to be out of work. It's going to be harder for them to find work. And so I think finding good contractors that are willing to go and do the work and show up will get easier for us, guys. And honestly, not to go on a rant about the market and, and what's happening, I hear a lot of fear and uncertainty about the real estate market specifically, what we're the market that we're going into and the opportunities that will be there or not. And frankly, I'm 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 shocked. I hear a lot of people who are scared that they're not going to be able to survive the the real estate market that is coming. It's kind of here, but it's also, it's coming. And I just say to those people, where were you five or six years ago or four or five years ago? Where were you? We were in that market and people were thriving and it was great. And everyone was afraid to leave that market. And then we left it. And now people are afraid to kind of go back into a similar market. But I don't understand. We loved it when we were there. I think... The opportunities are going to be greater. I think the profits are going to be greater. I think the availability of contractors is going to be better. I just think there's a lot of upside to what's about to happen in the real estate market and what is happening in a lot of markets right now already. So keep your chin up, guys. It's all good. We're going to survive this. In fact, we're going to thrive and we're probably going to look back and wonder what we were so afraid of. So that's my take on the market that's coming. And uh, those are the questions for this week. Again, if you want to grab my direct mail course before I make it a paid course, go at least go grab it while it's free. Even if you don't watch it right away, go grab it while it's free. And you can find it at winningdirectmail.com or you can go to my website, mikesimmons.com forward slash winning direct mail. Okay, guys, we'll see you next time. All right. I hope you enjoyed that. Remember, I do these Q&As live on Facebook on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. I hope you enjoyed this. Tune in next week for another installment of live Q&As answering your questions. Okay. Until next time.